Okay, we're on the air with another episode of Future Tech Chat. Today we're going to be talking about net neutrality, which is uh, a topic that's been in the news a lot this week. I have uh, co-host Mike Cottrell with me, as always. How are you doing, Mike? I'm doing great today. How are you today, Rob? I'm fantastic. And uh, our special guest today, Keegan On. How are you doing? Uh, special. Special. <laughs> <laughs> so net neutrality, um, it's sort of on the same sort of thing as quantum mechanics. They say that nobody really understands quantum mechanics. I think it's kind of the same thing with net neutrality. A lot of people talk about it. A lot of people talk about understanding networks, but they're pretty complicated. I'm not sure there's anyone on Earth that completely understands how net neutrality would should be enforced and how... Uh, how the, the laws that are being proposed will actually affect net neutrality in the future. Because uh, it's really complicated and with a bunch of corporate interests involved and politics and uh, there's it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. Uh, so why don't we start with a little background, just go into what net neutrality is and, and why it's important. Uh, Mike, why don't you, do you have anything... Uh, you said you, you seem to have done the most research on this. Well, I'd say it was very scrambled research once I realized that it was actually happening. Um, I'm not going to lie, at least at first I thought that the net stood for internet neutrality, but it's actually network neutrality, so... Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's the same. <laughs> it is, but anyway. Um, but yeah, I guess after, after doing some research, I realized that, uh, yeah, like you said, it's kind of businesses having vested interest in how these um, services are regulated. And they're, they're trying to obviously make the most money, um, but there's other businesses that rely on an open internet and not having those restrictions and um, those efforts from the uh, service providers. So it's kind of a, a butting of heads, and it seems like the uh, service providers seem to have had the, the upper hand and the, the freedom to uh, do as they please because they haven't been regulated as utilities or essential services. So um, I guess the whole basis of this... Uh, this issue is whether how they should be regulated and what changes need to be made to make it a, I guess a benefit for both ends. You know, not only just for the public but also for for the service providers because they deserve some consideration too. But I think it needs to be within reason. Right. So the the main principle of network neutrality is that every bit that gets sent across the internet, every piece of data, uh, should be treated equally. You can't give preference or uh, a speed boost. To any particular data, uh, and that holds. That's most important to corporations that actually have a stake in what data gets sent where. Um, and basically, net neutrality is really important because that the internet was founded on the principles that the internet should be open and that nobody should have control over it. Um, but even there's even the point that. Uh, during peak hours, your internet gets slowed down because there are so many people bogging it down. Uh, it's the internet itself is actually it's sort of a huge nebulous concept that there's no way to really know whether net neutrality actually exists in any form right now because the internet is uh, to 99% of people is just a black box that shows them pictures of cats and burgers. <laughs> It's yeah. It's it's difficult to define the internet, and it's hard to say whether it's neutral, especially to people that don't like people like us that are sort of 
sitting there trying to figure out. Uh, I mean, we we all pay for internet plans, and we get we have we have access to websites. So it sort of seems like, yeah, net neutrality. It's I can go to Facebook just as fast as I can go to Twitter, and I can go to NBC.com just as fast as I can go to ABC.com. But there's no there's no quanti quantitative way to actually measure internet speed, and so we're all and th that's the whole reason they want to talk about not necessarily regulating the internet, but just determining how this is all, uh, how corporations and their interests are affecting net neutrality and whether there actually is a reason to regulate the internet as a utility, which is, which is one big part of the discussion that was had this week at the Federal Communications Commission in the States. Yeah, I think you, you mentioned about, you know, that right now they're not supposed to speed up. Uh, specific services, but I think it's important to note that the rules right now, I believe, actually state that they're not allowed to slow down discriminately. Right. But th but there's nothing like with this whole thing with like Netflix um, and Comcast and how they're they're able to pay for that that fast lane to to enhance their their streaming services. Um, and right now the rules don't disallow that, from well, what I understand. It's kind of a wild west type of thing. Yeah. But but I guess the whole thing is that they're saying okay well you can't slow anyone down but you're allowed to pay a premium to speed people up. Right. And they're they're saying that that, that last one's more okay but it's really the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Like where yeah. is this fast lane and why can't we yeah. see it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, have Have you guys noticed any? I mean, the the whole thing is that Netflix paid I think it was Comcast in the states. Yeah. To speed up Netflix. And it sort of it it made me wonder, and it still makes me wonder, why that was necessary. Like, what why what makes what is the the net difference on network level that makes you have to pay that when you pay extra suddenly you're in this fast lane? Like, what why is that a thing that the internet has? It doesn't that necessarily mean that they're slowing everybody down if there's if there's a fast lane that exists? Mm -hmm. If they have the potential to to speed up, yeah, yeah, like well, a, yeah. I see the difference between like 3G and 4G. The limitations are there in the technology that of 3G. You you need hardware that's fast enough to access the faster internet. But when you're dealing with a company like like Netflix, their bandwidth is so much bigger that it really is about how much speed they can actually pump out of the internet. And uh, it's it's really hard to say for individuals and especially individuals that don't actually reside in the states where the laws are being decided right now. Um, but it's important to remember that the U.S. has a lot of push and a lot of clout in the world when it comes to making policies on new technology. And so the decisions that are going on there are going to affect Canada and they're going to affect the whole world. Yeah, I think they, they set a, a very strong uh, precedent for, for um, law in general, especially internet law. Because there's there's no or there's not very much existing internet law currently, so I think I think countries will latch on because of that. Yeah, and well, I was reading the other day that in in terms of internet, the states actually isn't that great in terms of overall internet connectivity and internet speeds when it comes to like there the countries like Korea and Japan and a lot of European countries actually have more robust faster internet service than the states and Canada do uh, and that policy in the European Union is actually qu 
quite a bit better than the state's policy, just because they've they sort of seem to have a better handle on it, and they're they're more trying to get ahead of the internet as opposed to letting whatever happens happen. Uh, there's kind of there's there's been talking about all kinds of things, any any sort of political issue. Um, there's been a lot of push in the states from corporate lobbyists to sort of money to have money control any issue, and so whoever has the money is basically making the decisions, and that's that's what's happening with the with the internet is that companies like AT&T and Comcast and Time Warner are spending millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars, trying to make sure that they can get a fast lane because that will enable them to charge people like Netflix to pay extra to get internet. So uh, you look like you have something to say, Mike. I was going to say, just as far as the, the regulation itself, um, you know, it was it kind of came up out of the ether and people started using it and realized that you could, you know, like you said, look at pictures of cats and cheeseburgers on it as opposed to just post on message boards and bulletin boards. So I think, you and then businesses realized that it was a way to make money as well. Um, and I think it kind of was very largely self-regulated or self-sustained. And then it got to the point where people started taking advantage of it. And then at that point, then it's like, okay, now we need regulations. But because those regulations weren't in there from the beginning, it's kind of harder to play catch up and start retroactively saying, you know, okay, now you're doing this now, but you're not allowed to anymore, as opposed to having those rules in the first place. Um, I think it's kind of likened to, say, you know, any new industry, really, like oil and gas or automotives. Like the the first to market, people will basically be operating without regulation. And then once more people enter the market and, you know, there's more things to kind of be looking at and worrying about, then that's when the regulation comes in. But, you know, I guess it's more hindsight than anything. But it's like, well, if we had some regulation from the beginning, then then we wouldn't have to worry about trying to play catch up. Yeah, I think, I think it's hard to, to go back once once companies see the, the kind of money that they can make in, a, in an unregulated market. You know? yeah. and I think it's, it, it kind of fosters the this uh, idea of, I think it's less that they'll, they'll be focusing less on following regulations and more on how to get around regulations and how to find, find loopholes to kind of mm -hmm. get back to that, that uh, initial state. Yeah, it's the same thing with patents, right? Like technology patents, those companies spend, you know, like Rob was saying, millions and billions of dollars on lawyers to try to find ways to get around patents. Yeah. Um, you know, you'll look at Google's patents and say, okay, we want to do the same thing. What do we need to do to get around this patent? And that's what they pay people to focus on. So when you have when you have that kind of focus on getting around regulation and getting around laws, then it's it's a losing battle for sure. Yeah. It's... Uh... It's interesting because there, there's sort of been a case made over the last week with, with all this stuff saying that for the for sort of individuals, this doesn't this all this stuff happening with net neutrality and net neutrality law doesn't really matter because it's gonna it, it doesn't really affect people on a personal level. It affects uh, economics and politics between big companies like Netflix and Comcast. And we might have to sit through a couple days where there's slower Netflix speeds or where there's, I think there was a big dispute uh, in New York last year where 
they couldn't reach an agreement, and so Time Warner just cut a bunch of channels in New York. As oh, a yeah. Break tactic. I remember that, yeah. And so that's the only way that we would really be affected, and so there's a lot of people, have, well, not a lot of people, but people have been saying that there's sort of no reason for the ordinary person to worry, and that's a little bit dangerous because there's there are a lot of people who make who make their own living on the internet, not only through companies, but people trying to start their own companies, um, start businesses uh, as entrepreneurs that are going to have a lot harder time competing against the big guys. And we'll see. I mean, we've already seen it a bit, but we'll sort of start to see the Walmartification of the internet, where big companies are allowed to squeeze out small companies by charging them a ton right out the gate. And then once the competition's gone, they'll just raise their prices until nobody else can come in. Yeah. And, and even on a, on a more um, individual level, like I don't see how companies could have this capability to, to create a fast lane and then not, not uh, extend that to the consumer, the everyday user. And I think what, what this is the start of is this uh, kind of tiered internet system where, where now it used to be an issue that, oh, some people have internet, some people don't. And now I think we're moving towards uh, globally. Everyone has internet. A lot of people have internet. But now we're moving towards a kind of everyone has internet, but people people who have the the money can have a, a better internet. Or, so we're kind of creating a tiered a tiered internet system that um, is going to be expensive. Yeah, yeah. Actually, on that note, and that was a good segue into this. And I'm sure I don't know if Rob's probably read it, and I don't know. Um, Keegan, how much you uh, look at The Verge and their articles, but they they posted a fairly viral article. I think it, it went around um, the internet a bit. Um, they titled it, Your Corporate Internet Nightmare Starts Now. Um, and uh, it basically kind of painted a very grim picture of of how, you know, a future would look if net neutrality was completely disregarded and companies had their way. Um, and, you know, it kind of paints, you know, a little... Uh, fictitious picture of it, but it's is very realistic in the way that it's if we don't have these regulations it could very well happen where you're paying for internet, but not only are you paying a premium to get reasonable internet speeds to do anything, but you're also, you know, buying website packages right. where you know you're paying fifty bucks a month but you only get Facebook and Twitter and Google search, right? And if you want, you know, YouTube, then you're gonna have to pay an extra ten bucks a month. And like that's what it could come down to if these net neutrality rules don't come into effect because, like you said, you know, companies come up with whatever they can to, to squeeze every last drop out of us yeah. as consumers. Yeah, because it's not – yeah, that's the thing about control is that I, I think that once – I think it's a very kind of human uh, thing. Like once you, once you realize you can control one aspect, so speeds, I think it's, a bit, it's very easy to, to start to extend that and, and um, try to control uh, other aspects of, of an industry or of a thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can start with the argument. Right now, we have, in, I mean, in Canada, we have a situation that is still, tech, I mean, within the, the realm of no corporations are, are paying for fast lanes or anything like that that we know of. But you pay for a certain internet speed and a certain mm -hmm. amount of internet, uh, there's no sort of by service 
thing if you, uh, other than the fact that maybe if you want video, um, you're going to go over your caps if you want like 1080 video, it's just going to eat through your data cap a lot faster, but um, with, with a decrease in competition, as we've already seen a little bit, you're going to start to see data caps going down. Uh, so they'll give you faster and faster internet, but and and sort of of course the quality of pictures as as screen resolution gets better, uh, it's going to take more and more data to get the same the same content through. Mm-hmm. And I mean it's already started, but we're going to get to the point that people will have to even on their home network they're going to have to limit the amount of stuff they can do. They can be on the internet for as long as they want, and they'll have fast internet whenever they are, but they'll be afraid, like they are on on mobile networks right now, to go over their data caps because prices are just going to be ridiculous. Right. I I think that's a a big issue is that it is such a a low competition industry, um, kind of like kind of like oil, for example. That like that's that's the reason that companies can operate, um, and and charge. So much is that there's no there's no kind of competition and the, there there's not the the infrastructure or like legal infrastructure to uh, to, to foster a more competitive environment. Yeah, I think the difference with with the oil market though is that it's it is a market like it's it's market driven and it's a supply and demand type industry. Um, there are regulations and there are right there are a lot a lot of regulations and and that's kind of what I was thinking back when it first started out. There weren't those regulations, but Governments have been able to kind of clamp down and kind of have those regulations, and, and hopefully we get the same with with this internet. Right. Um, and I don't think there's any way to make the internet a a public market the same way that commodities are. Um, but if there was some way to kind of allow the public to have more of an influence on internet prices and mobile network prices and all that kind of stuff, then that that'd be a good good change to see. I think. I don't know. There's obviously a certain level. There's a certain speed threshold that's considered broadband. I think it's six megabits per second, uh, which is really slow still. But uh, that's considered like a basic minimum for having broadband internet, internet access. Um, and getting beyond that will start to be considered uh, across the world. Will start to be considered just that is, that's internet, and I mean, you already kind of see the the network denutralification. It's been going on for a few years, where uh, organizations uh, like mobile mobile companies have, are the first to do this. Will give you unlimited social networking on your mobile phone, mm-hmm. and that already kind of is defeating the purpose of net neutrality. I mean, it's not. It's not technically slowing anything down, but it's giving you access to Facebook, to any at yeah. any net any content or anything that comes from Facebook.com doesn't cost you anything. So that that gives you a huge incentive to use Facebook services. I've always I've never actually had a plan that did that, but I've always wondered how they know. Like, what is considered Facebook? Is it just the app? Is it the website? Like, if you click on a st- to read a story that's outside Facebook, but it came from Facebook, does that count? Like, I yeah, I know BlackBerry 
had and maybe still has those types of plans because their their internet was managed or their data was managed a different way because their BlackBerry messaging was through data, but it was still considered. They'll say, oh, yeah, I have unlimited BlackBerry messaging, and then you can either pick unlimited social networking or however much data per month kind of thing. And and I think it is through specific apps that are preloaded onto the phone. Oh, uh, so you don't think it's based on IPs or it's based on... No, I think I think it's if you're if you're using it through an app, it's the same way that with um, with Fido back when before smartphones, you could get an email, unlimited email, and before we got unlimited internet, like in, like five dollar per month unlimited data, we got unlimited email, and you had to access it through the Fido, like the preloaded email app on our dumb phone. Like it wasn't a smartphone even at the time, but you could access email and it would be included in your price, but it wasn't considered mobile browsing, and it wasn't considered data, it was just part of that that package. But I, I, I hear what you're saying, though, that it, it does seem to be kind of dancing that line of net neutrality, but again, it's regulated completely differently than, than, uh, than I guess, net neutrality would be. But... Would it be, though, because it's... Well, it's... I, that's the thing. I don't know. Would it? <laughs> I don't know, because the internet... I've been meaning to actually do more research into this and, and potentially make a video about it, but the the internet is this huge abstract thing that even people who are on the internet, they say that there's this, uh, there's this concept called the deep web. It's basically sites on the internet that you can visit, but that there's nothing on the internet that points to it. Search engines can't find it. Like they're, they're not indexed by search engines. There's no website that has a link to that website and they say that 80% of content on the internet is you have to go to it to find it. You can't, you can't like navigate to it from hmm. another site. They got in trouble kind of recently. Or not they, sorry. There, there's a site called Silk Road, I think. Yeah. They got in trouble recently because it was, it was kind of, because it's so unsearchable, it, it was this kind of network of uh, like selling guns and drugs and even like, like hitmen and stuff. Yeah. yeah. I actually thought it was really, this is a slightly off topic, but it comes around. Um, Silk Road is actually the name of the trail that people have been using yeah. for 10,000 years from sort of the Middle East into Southeast Europe. Asia, up through to Europe. That's the name of the trade route that, that they used, and which has now sort of gone out of favor uh, since they started having boats they could ship across the ocean and around Africa it was a lot faster than going, but they've actually built a, a high-speed rail line on that same path, like the, the Silk Road of, of antiquity, <laughs> to enable high-speed transport to, like, from Asia to Europe, uh, which is supposed supposed to make shipping like it's right now. It's a nightmare to get things from Asia to Europe. It takes like months, um, but with this high-speed rail line, it. it supposed to make shipping things to Europe and even to North America a lot faster, which I'm pretty excited for. It's it's a different kind of network. <laughs> <laughs> you just you said Silk Road and it made like that right. that's sort of like the internet black market. Right. Yeah. And the thing about the internet, especially an open internet, is right. that people who want to operate this these sort of black markets on websites that can't be found by search they're they're free to do that, right? Like as soon as you cut off Silk Road one, they're gonna oh, they've got Silk Road two ready to go, 
it's the same thing with torrent sites. Like you can shut down a torrent site, but that basically just cuts off that domain name, and then they use the next one that they have on the list. Mm. Uh, the Pirate Bay has been bouncing around from server to server in different countries, and like you can't you can't really prosecute them because the the laws that are trying to be fought aren't American laws. Right. And so they they're perfectly. Well, I don't know if it's perfectly legal, but they're they're able to just sort of bounce around and not get in any trouble. Mm-hmm. I, it's something I, I say a lot is that I think we're living in an age right now that will will look back on on all of this kind of free download and pirating stuff. We'll look back and be like, "Can you believe like that? That used to be like we could do that." You know, like it's just it's just so much. I think there's so much money uh, or a potential profit loss for companies that I I can't see it kind of going on forever. You know, I think I think uh, we're, we're, we're seeing more of a crackdown on, on torting sites. Yeah. And, um, uh, yeah, I just I just don't see them being able to operate for much longer the, the way they do. Right. I think and, we're... And, uh, yeah, for um, the... They've been... I, I use the example of... Um, uh, it's very common for people to download, like, sporting... Like, pay-per-view sporting events, like UFC stuff. Um, and now the UFC has started to like really crack down on sites and actually users as well, and, and, and handing out fines for for illegal downloads. And mm-hmm. I think that's only going to get worse because they realize that the, the the money they're losing. Yeah, well, I think we're we were, sorry, we were, Yeah, I was just gonna I was gonna bring that up. Yeah, you you can go ahead and mention it. Uh, I forget what it even was now. It was about the, I think it was about smart TVs. Yeah, I think we, we were talking about smart TVs at the time. Yeah. Um, that companies are some companies. There's there are companies like HBO and companies like Netflix that are sort of trying to stay ahead uh, and come up with like if the UFC came up with a solution that was as good as or better than these sites that are pirating and or illegally downloading and streaming their their fights. If they came up with a system that was easier to use, mm. people would use that. Right. If movie networks, I think that's that was what the main yeah. thing talking about was with theaters and stuff, yeah, with movies for download, and you could download them the night they came out for like ten or fifteen bucks. Right. Yeah. People would do that. People would not go to go out to the movie. They would stay in and watch it. Mm-hmm. The TVs are big enough, and couches are a lot more comfortable than movie seats. You don't have to pay ten or fifteen dollars for movie tickets. Mm-hmm. That yeah. that would happen, but. Uh, and I, we also mentioned, well, I mentioned in that episode that uh, it, there doesn't seem to be any motivation for people, like companies like, I guess, the UFC and uh, and movie networks and TV networks are trying to crack down on these people who have come up with great, really good engineering solutions to the exact problems that, they're, that these companies are having. That people aren't downloading their stuff because it's too hard or it's too expensive. And they've come up with cheap really easy ways to distribute and, and make money off the TV. And if, if the TV networks actually just took... I mean, taking their ideas is is a, another way to go about it, but if you actually just approach these people, rather than prosecuting them, just hire them. Be like, make our system as good as your system is. It seems like that would be so easy, but there's so much... There's so much hate in the... In North America in particular, in, in the States with all the lawyers and all the patent law and the MPAA and the RIAA 
everyone just wants their money and they're going to basically sue to get it or throw people in jail. But yeah. the, I, I, the only reason it's at that point is that this current system is so bad. Right. Mm -hmm. and, it, and as bad as the system is, I think, that it's very hard for a company to to invest in an, a new way of doing things, you know, a new business as usual. I think yeah. it's, it's mainly it's very easy to just continue to do what they do and make the money they make and, and just kind of prosecute people instead of instead of working around yeah. it. But I I do think that it's it's more um, it's more of a long term benefit for companies to to, to adapt. To, yeah, to stay not not to stay young, but to try to stay, look for the stay next young. thing as opposed yeah. to depending on the previous thing. Blockbuster is a great like the perfect example of that because there's a story that came out. I mean, I, I, people probably talked about it a long time ago when it was happening, but uh, sort of a look back at Blockbuster's history and now they're basically I don't know if they're completely bankrupt, but they've they've slowly been moving to a digital thing and all the stores are closed. But when Netflix first was first like delivering CD, like mailing CDs out, they approached Blockbuster like saying, "Hey, we have this digital streaming thing. Would you be interested in a buyout? Like, we're really <laughs> working with you." And Net Blockbuster was like, "No, no, no. We are video stores. That's what we're doing. We're gonna win. We're sticking with that." <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, profits like jumped off a cliff as soon as Netflix yeah. started doing digital distribution. Yeah. John John Mulaney has a joke that's like I was like when he was a kid he was like I was on the phone with Blockbuster Video which is a very old sentence <laughs> <laughs> on the phone with Blockbuster <laughs> That's funny Well even when we talk about net neutrality having access to having everybody have access to the internet is becoming as important as everybody having a phone was 10 or 15 years ago. Yeah. Uh, I was having a conversation last night even. Uh, I'm, I'm always constantly, every not every day, but every week at least, explaining to someone why Twitter is so important to an open internet and to the internet becoming sort of more sustainable. Customer service is better on Twitter than it is on the phone. Oh yeah, for sure. If a company has a Twitter account, Guaranteed yeah. they have some system yeah. in the back that is tracking all the tweets, putting them in order, and there's people responding to them way faster than yeah. if you were to call. And I know Telus. Telus is that way. I've used the Telus one, and and they responded like right away. Yeah, I was yeah. talking with Wind. I've done it with Logitech. I've done. I've Dell. I think I've done it with. It's it's unbelievable how how well some of these companies have adapted their business methods to to do that. I'm, yeah, I'm definitely really pleased with the companies that have done that. Uh, Presto is another one, our, our bus pass card system. Oh, yeah. 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 So I wanted to talk, because this is something that I think each of us has a point that we want to talk about. Um, between where we are, not where we are now, between full complete 100% net neutrality where every bit is treated equally and no corporation has the power to slow down or speed up the internet and sort of the worst case scenario where the exact laws that the carriers and the internet providers want gets passed and there's just 
no neutrality and every, companies are making money by charging the customer and by charging the service uh, and sort of the opposite of net neutrality. Is there a middle ground that that can come up? Like, do the ISPs have a point on net neutrality? Is there an advantage to be gained for everyone by giving these internet service providers any power to control and manipulate the internet as they see fit? I, I, well, I think, for example, a, um, a good or a positive aspect of the control is to kind of stop um, things like Silk Road or or sites that are providing illegal goods or services. Like there, there has to be some kind of aspect of controlling content or making sure that that porn doesn't pop up on on everyone's screen all the time. Unless you want it. Obviously. Right, yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. subscribing to that service. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that's actually the one good thing about uh, targeted ads is that uh, Google, like Google search bots, they will check the content of a site before assigning ads, so you're not going to see just, because I'm sure if, like based on money and advertising, porn ads would pop up a lot just on sort of like any random website, but they actually got really good at filtering to, so that you get ads for stuff that is actually relevant to the page. Right. Well, relevant to you. Well, and not, like, not necessarily relevant to you, but uh, well, I can think of a couple examples of how sites, like uh, I, perf I perfectly see the reason why that ad's there, but it is not at all relevant to me. Uh, I saw an ad one time, actually I saw it a few times. <laughs> it was an ad for, it was some sort of electronic store, I didn't click on it, but it was advertising an iPad, uh, Beats headphones, and then an iPhone. And that was, there was three pictures, there were three prices, little descriptions. I was like, I mean, I know that's targeted to me because I have those things, but that advertising does not work on me at all. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't need that advertising. I'd done my research and I bought those products already. Yeah. I think you even mentioned that you wish there was like a button to say that you already had them. It's yeah. like, yeah, got it. <laughs> it's like, it worked already. I yeah. don't need to see it anymore. <laughs> well, I guess this is kind of off topic, but yeah, they, they came out with that, um, the functionality of Google Now, how they... Uh, now, if you're walking in a mall or by a store, it will. If you've searched for a product, it will say, "Hey, there's a store near you that has this product." So, if I was looking for like an iPad and I was walking by a Best Buy, it would say, "Hey, Best Buy has an iPad for 200 bucks," and it would like show that on my Google Now screen. Mm. And I actually think that's very useful. Um, well, I mean, they, yeah, it, you can. It, there's definitely the potential for them to take it too far and actually give you like a notification, like iPad. Well, oh, I don't think, yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I definitely, I see, I see what you're talking about. I see the benefit of that. Yeah. It's uh, Google now. I mean, it just after spending two weeks with a Nexus Five, I saw the power that is the actual Nexus-powered Google Now capabilities, with all the news and everything. That that update just recently, like in in this past week, uh, happened on iOS. So now I'm seeing news stories and. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, but anyway, to answer your original question about the middle ground, um, I would say that you know I think I think it's very overprivileged to be saying you know we deserve 100% complete net neutrality because you know I think the the companies have a point saying you know they invested into the infrastructure they're providing us a service 
so so I am I am okay paying for internet and allowing for some sort of control on their end. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I, I think it's whether they choose to exploit and um, and manipulate the uh, the power that they have with that, um, and whether they use it for good or for evil. Yeah, they, uh, there was a point that was made, and I'm not sure how true it is. I'm going to say it, and we can discuss whether or not you guys think it's true as well. Um, governments make investments on infrastructure. That's true of roads and bridges and electricity and phone lines, and it's very true of the Internet. Uh, governments have made huge, like billions of dollars of investments into networks, like either through government funds to telecommunications or internet service providers through um, grants to them, through subsidies, through all kinds of things. The government has given companies like AT&T billions of dollars to build better networks and to build faster networks and to build networks that reach more people. So them saying, oh, look, we made all this investment in infrastructure and you can't just take that away from us. Like, the government has had a huge hand. They wouldn't be, have been able to do it without government help. And basically what they've, what the companies have done now is say, oh, you know, the Internet, that, that was last year. We're, we're done with the Internet now. And they've stopped investing their own money into expanding the Internet and saying, oh, like, you know, we, we barely made $100 billion of profit this year. We can't afford to build out our infrastructure, and but it's good enough anyways. We have all these statistics saying that it's fine and customers don't want faster internet, they don't need it, they don't use it. Um, and they're, they're stifling innovation. The, the companies themselves are stifling innovation by saying that it's good enough right now, right. but they're, they're still taking that money and saying that they've already invested a whole, a whole lot of money in. That sort of, to me, is, is the main reason that I don't think uh, corporations should have any say, unless it's very obvious to people that the government's been helping out. It's it seems kind of unethical. I mean, obviously, big corporations will do unethical things from time to time, but people should know. <laughs> people should know if, if the co the corporation that's providing the internet has, like, if they've actually made these billions of dollars of investments, they should have some some control. But if the government's making investments on this internet infrastructure, people deserve to know that and can base their opinions on uh, their either their opinions on net neutrality or their opinions on innovation in the internet. Uh, I just think it's it's good for the information to be out there because if you don't know that, it seems like yeah, there's a there's a good case for net neutrality or to for corporations to have some control over what parts of the internet are neutral and what parts aren't. Yeah. Right. But the, yeah, the whole all the money came from well, not all of it, but a lot of the money came from the government. Yeah. Trying to better things for everyone. Yeah. Well, see, companies, service providers aren't not for profit organizations, so. They're they're gonna have their you know economics geniuses looking at their optimization curves 
and saying, you know, if we pump this much money into infrastructure and this much money into whatever and whatever, 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 and then they'll say, okay, where's our sweet spot? And so it's not going to be at that 100% mark where if they go full out developing infrastructure and, and bettering their service for the consumer, it's not going to necessarily result in, in more revenue and um, better profitability. So I think, yeah, I, I'd agree that it'd be good if they put as much as they could, but from a business standpoint, that doesn't make sense for them. So so I don't blame them, per se, for doing that because they are businesses and their goal is to make money for shareholders and, and for themselves. Um, so I, I, I don't know if you just need to have some sort of regulation saying, you know, every, every service provider, every company needs to dedicate X percentage of budget or revenue to infrastructure um, in order to maintain a level that... that gives a service to, to the customer as opposed to just letting them budget however they want to and, and taking the profits themselves. But yeah. I don't know if that's... No, definitely. And I, the answer, as it is 100% of the time, is somewhere in the middle. Uh, because obviously they are out to make a profit. Uh, I don't think that it's necessarily true that it's up for debate, but it's not 100% true that uh, comp like the internet should be classified as a utility. Like there is one internet, companies are in charge of helping maintain it. Uh, I don't necessarily think it should be like the Wild West where companies are going around like cutting other people's internet. Uh, but that there has to be, there has to at least be an awareness from the government and from everyday people, consumers, about what's going on in the internet and what is changing and how it works. Like when new when new internet technology comes up, it's le legally and, and sort of ethically speaking, it's it's in telecommunications and internet service providers' best interest to advance the technology. That's how they've been doing it for a hundred years when it comes to television and radio and um, like telegraphs and all that stuff. The only reason that all of these developments have been made is because they keep putting money into infrastructure, they keep putting money into research and development, and saying that we're ba like basically, if you say, oh, we're done, that we've the internet is the best we can do. Now it's time to just maintain. I don't think I don't think that's ever a healthy attitude to have. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a symptom of such a, a low competition market where, where there's not a lot of, it, it doesn't drive innovation the way you see in other, in other industries. Yeah. yeah. Well, look, look, look at Microsoft and how for the longest time they were the, the kings of technology and they were all there was. It began and ended with uh, PCs and Office and whatever they decided to, to make available. And then you had Apple come out and then they had to start, you know, focusing on developing their their hardware and their software a bit more. But then you got the mobile market, and they barely invested in it at all until the iPhone came out. And then, even then, it's like, well, if they're okay, just staying out of that. But then Google came out with their Android, and it's like, okay, now we've got to actually figure something out. Um, and I think I think they're doing a really good job of, you know, it's it's late, but they're at least pushing. And and I think they've come out with some good good stuff so far. Um, in this last year or two, um, and I think it's a lot it's a lot less of a two horse race than it was before I think with with, with that industry anyway yeah. there was talk uh, 
I wrote a little piece on net neutrality this week, and uh, Nick, who's been on this show before, has said he he commented that uh, if we don't, if if having lobbyists and basically people who have worked for the telecommunications industry before trying to make them money and trying to find loopholes, if those people who are who are actually in, like on the committee for the Federal Communications Commission, if they're the ones making the decision, I made the argument that it, that, that was bad and that they have an interest in helping the, the people that have been paying them for all these years. Uh, Nick asked me, who should be doing it? Like, aren't they the best? They know the mm -hmm. ins and outs of the industry. They know the most about the internet. And I'm, I'm interested in your guys' take on this because I don't really agree. I don't think they have the best take. They just happen to be people who were in, in, they were involved in the policy discussion, but the side of the discussion they were on was tr how can people make money and how can we avoid regulations that will make it harder for us to make money. Right. I feel like they're very one, it's a very one-sided group and it's a really confusing issue. So even uh, there was a, I guess, I'll let you guys answer the question first and then I'll, I'll go to what, I, what else I wanted to say. So do you think like who, do you think there's anyone better qualified or at least who's less likely to be biased than, than former lobbyists uh, for the communications? I think the system should be set up in a way that would allow people who are more qualified to kind of rise to, to the levels of decision makers. I think that, that just just because these these uh, corporations have been um, been operating in a certain way, I don't I don't think that that gives them uh, a validity or, or the right to, to dictate um, what happens to the internet. Yeah. So uh, like I made the argument that someone like Bill Gates would be a good candidate to at least be involved in the discussion, if not if not actually be on the committee or be a part of the commission, people like him, people like Vince Cerf, who developed a lot of the protocols for the internet, uh, I feel like they would have a strong case for how they they would do this in an unbiased way, not trying to benefit corporations, but also not trying to stifle corporations. Obviously, Bill Gates is interested in technology's success, and he's interested in Microsoft's success, but he won't be making money off of whether the internet is neutral or not. Mm -hmm. I'd, I'd liken it to, say, science decisions when it comes to government mm -hmm. and how a lot of the people, or even, you know, Keegan, you can probably relate to this as far as education-based decisions, right? Um, it's a bigger thing in the States, um, especially in Texas, how uh, you know a lot of the lawmakers um, for education regulations they're you know very right wing hardcore like conservative and they have their own ideals and um, you know basically it's they're not qualified at all to be making education based decisions um, you know same thing with like you know NASA budgets how the guys making decisions there they they don't have a complete grasp of the ramifications of cutting that kind of budget, and uh, what 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 benefits we'd get from scientific research. Um, so I, I think on this end, when it comes to technology, I, th I think it's worth having, you know, as Rob alluded to, some sort of like advisory type committee 
that maybe wouldn't be making the decision itself, but could at least play a part in educating and, um, you know, shedding light on some issues that, that may not be immediately, uh, you know, obvious to, to the people making the decisions. So. Right. Right, because there's no reason there's no reason for them to know anything about net neutrality. There's they're sort of uh, they hear the side of the corporations because that's where the money comes from. Mm -hmm. they, have, they pay lobbyists to go and lobby Congress and to lobby the FCC on the side of um, not net neutrality, like mm -hmm. closing down the internet, giving corporations more power. Um, but there's nobody arguing the other side. There's nobody uh, other than now that this this law has come up, uh, sort of people are coming out of the woodwork and and making their voices heard and letting them know that this isn't okay and it shouldn't be happening that way. Yeah. Well, look at you know Amazon, Microsoft, Google, like Twitter, Netflix. They 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 wrote that open letter um, to the FCC and just kind of saying you know like yeah I know you've heard a lot about about net neutrality from your, your lobbyists and stuff, but there's there's a benefit to having an open internet, and this is what has get, gotten us to uh, to so far, and we need to preserve preserve the the openness that that we have, and these are the reasons why. Um, so I guess that's kind of a, a drastic kind of emphatic stance on it, um, but I think it's it's a good start to kind of hear the other side of things for sure. Yeah, it's. It's so weird. I I know that is a meaningless phrase, but the internet, as as somebody who spends fifty to sixty percent of their time on the internet, uh, it seems weird to me that something that's so so non like it's so abstract. Everything about the internet has this level of abstraction that you can't you can't know exactly what's going on. Like you're if a website goes down. Uh, it could be the host that went down. It could be a network disconnection somewhere. It could just be your computer. Uh, it could be your internet service provider. There's so many layers of things that can go wrong. Whenever something does, it's sort of like, oh, well, internet's down again. Just, <laughs> until it's back. just, just the Somebody, internet's down. Yeah, yeah. Somebody's in charge of something, and it'll get fixed eventually. Yeah. It's hard to it's hard to know if net neutrality is is being enforced, if it ever could be enforced, it's really tough without going through a series, like they've, people have gone through tests and you can you can see that a website's being slowed down by certain things if you go on, for instance, like if I was at home using my, my Wi-Fi, I would see that I had fast internet to this, to this website and then if I go on my phone, which is on a different network, suddenly it's it's either a lot, like it's a lot faster or a lot slower, but it's different than my home internet. You you know that something is happening on the network level that is causing something to either speed up or slow down, but it's impossible or very difficult to pinpoint where that slowdown is happening. And that's that's one of the things that if net neutrality goes through, or sorry, if the if the laws that are being proposed go through, we it might be invisible to us that these changes are happening because they're happening slowly and there's already so many things that if one thing is off or one thing goes wrong on the internet, the whole thing just doesn't work for a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, just... The fact that it's so abstract is what makes this difficult for me to... 
to know what to say. Right. And I think that's a large part of the problem with net neutrality is that people in general are so uh, neutral about it and that it stems from a lack of education. Like, I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know anything about how how the internet really works or net neutrality. I think people uh, in general are a lot less informed than, than even we are, not to say that we're super informed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that it's uh, it's a big issue because people use the internet so much, but they have no idea how it works or, or what's happening behind this uh, this veil. And so I think that the, a, a possible solution is to start with with educating um, people or kids about about uh, why how the internet works and why why it's important to uh, to uh, use it properly to regulate it. Yeah. One of the things I want to I want to talk about this because I read uh, there's a there's a columnist who has bounced around a bit. Um, he will he was originally at Slate when I discovered him, but now he is. Um, where is he again? I don't even remember where he is now. But his, his name is Farhad Manju. And he's at the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, Wall Street Journal. That's what it is. But he's yeah he's been at three places in the last year. He's worked at three different. Um, <laughs> journalistic organization yeah. uh, and he said this yesterday I'm glad that I that I found this picture uh, he said he described he was talking about net neutrality and describing the problems that that exist in the public dealing with net neutrality uh, and he tweeted the the blurb from the New York Times and from the Washington Post about the decision and um, like they were posted simultaneously, and the the New York Times said the Federal Communications Commission voted three to two on Thursday to move forward with a set of proposed rules aimed at guaranteeing an open internet, providing high-speed internet service providers from blocking or discriminating, prohibiting high-speed internet service providers from blocking or discriminating against legal content flowing through their pipes. That was New York Times, and then Washington Post said the FCC on Thursday voted in favor of advancing a proposal that could dramatically reshape the way consumers experience the internet opening the possibility for internet service providers to charge websites for higher quality delivery of their content. What? New York, yeah, the New York Times said, basically, yep, they, they move forward to guarantee an open internet, like, all's good, net neutrality's fine, and the Washington Post, about the same thing, said that the FCC voted to advance a proposal to end net neutrality and to change the way things are. Right. Just like his comment was, "This is the whole problem with the network neutrality proposal right here." And I, huh. I found the same thing on Thursday after, like there was the whole big debate with at the FCC, and they were they voted on the on net neutrality. But once it ended, I was sitting there. I was just like, "Wait!" I was reading all about it and reading everything that people were saying, and I came out of it. I was like, "Wait!" They uh, they voted three two, and I get that, but which way? Well, yeah, I still don't know. I still don't. <laughs> the, the prevailing opinion seems to be the that they voted to continue with the proposal that they proposed, which is yeah. net neutrality bad. But like you have to you have to dumb it down that much to be able to be like okay, <laughs> the bad thing, the bad thing that we thought shouldn't have happened did happen, because some tech places or places like even the New York Times are saying like, yep, it was it's all good, things are fine. Huh. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's a, that's a big issue is that these um, these kind of media 
corporations are able or or try very hard to to control the story uh, and control opinion, and they're they're in a very uh, a very powerful position to uh, kind of manipulate what people see and what people understand about about the issue. Yeah, well, the, there was a big thing, I guess, this past week um, in politics about. Uh, Karl Rove, who worked for the Bush administration, and he, I mean, he's a strong, staunch Republican, talking about how Hillary Clinton might have brain damage. Like, he throws out just casually, oh, maybe Hillary Clinton has brain damage. She was in the hospital, and who knows? And like, <laughs> <laughs> it, just, it doesn't even make sense. If you have some something substantiated to say, say it, but like, they can just they can control the story and, and places like Fox News do control the story. They they talk about something and then say and then another show on Fox will or another Fox network will be like, Oh look what Fox News said. They they said that this is happening and then the original people will go back and be like, Oh look, they agree with us. Like <laughs> opinions circling around and that in that way they shape the narrative to be whatever they want it to be. And again, it's the same thing because there are there are organizations and companies and conglomerations and networks of companies who control the media and internet um, policy and internet service. Like, there are all kinds of mergers going on all yeah. the time. Yeah, they're they're all they're all completely like vertically integrated. Yeah, and they 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 can just regulate just modify every level of the service because they own all the levels and that's like right. yeah like i don't know and but, but yeah we don't see that as as a consumer and you know on more than one occasion running like oh they're owned by them like cuz you know at the end of the credits they'll say oh a uh, time warner production or whatever and it's like oh i didn't even realize that yeah. that you, you you have that kind of association there and it's like yeah if i didn't know that it's like i don't you, you wouldn't know otherwise yeah well i mean that that was the whole I mean, it wasn't. It was the, it was this like sort of the subconscious reason that Thirty Rock existed as a show, was to show how ridiculous this is. It started off with NBC, and they were talking about vertical integration and getting right. placement onto onto Tina Fey's show. And eventually, they worked in uh, Comcast or Cable Town buying out NBC, and like they they went through great lengths on NBC to show how ridiculous it is that all this is happening. Yeah. But, and it's nice that they can do that and veil it in comedy. Like yeah. that's the best kind of satire. Is the satire that a lot of people watch it and not even realize that it happens. Describing <laughs> real events that have actually happened. Yeah. Or when the episode where where Tracy Jordan is trying to sell his um, meat machine. Meat machine, yeah. And Jack Donnie pulls out that big chart of of like, oh, we can't sell it, but we'll put it to one of our subsidiaries, and the big chart of. Yeah. Who owns what and how? Oh, okay. Well, yeah. And then the the parent company is always Shineheart Wig Company. Like it's just a yeah. wig company is owned. <laughs> <laughs> or also, you know, I have uh, like like ads like this. I don't know if you can see this showing up. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So this is like a, a recent Comcast ad. Uh, that's kind of attacking. It's kind. Of, it's trying to to control the the story on net neutrality and trying to turn you know tr turn. Consumers against net neutrality. Um, uh, yeah, so they're they're saying that like this this kind of merger is a good idea for net neutrality. Just kind just kind of taking advantage of, like we said at the beginning, how people don't really understand net neutrality fully. Yeah. Uh, 
yeah, just just uh, yeah, and then people see this and it seems like, you know, yeah, this is a, this rather you think. Yeah, yeah, and I think like it it goes back to the trust that Ooh. us as consumers put in, you know, in the companies and the services that we we rely on. Um, you know, it's like yeah, you we pay for our cable, we pay for our internet, we pay for our phones, and you know, we don't know anything about it, so we just trust that the company is managing it the best way possible. It's the same way when you take your car to the mechanic and, you know, he says, yep, this is wrong with it, this is wrong with it, it costs this much, and you're like, okay, like, that's what it costs, and that's what's wrong with it, and they have every ability to take advantage of you, and, and you just trust that they're not going to. Um, so... Yeah, the, the whole big thing with the Time Warner Comcast merger that seems like it should be or will be going through is that they're saying that because they own, uh, because they say that their overlap of places that have Comcast and places that have Time Warner aren't a lot, that they're not reducing competition because they are putting up new lines and having service in different places in the country. And so people won't, if they merge, people won't be losing an option because they never had both options to begin with. Mm. But if the merger does go through, you'll end up with like over a third of the population being under this one umbrella. Yeah. And it will be less competition. Like we have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. I'm sure for years they've been dividing up regions, saying like, oh, okay, you guys go there, we're not gonna go there, like and they sort of partition out land that mm -hmm. and they're they're preparing for that. Like the lawyers have said, okay, well, we can make this argument if you guys just stay out of each other's territory. Uh, you'll each take, like, you take west coast of, or the west side of Iowa, we'll take the east, and then eventually we'll get so many people and we'll be able to merge because we'll make this argument. Huh? And it's, uh, yeah, it's it's not great for, for consumers. And, I mean, the same thing's happening in, uh, not exactly the same thing's happening in Canada, but... Uh, with mobile networks, it's the, they're saying things and doing things under the guise of either increasing competition or not decreasing it. Right. But the result for everyone is that there's less competition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and there's a whole a whole thing about how the Canadian government spent X million dollars on a on an ad campaign about increasing competition with. Uh, the mobile landscape, and at the end of the day, there's less competition. Um, so it's like, okay, so A, why don't we have more competition, and B, why do we spend that much money on an ad campaign that didn't do anything? Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like, yeah, like, you know, you can put all the words out there that you want, but unless something happens and something changes with the industry, you're not going to see any results. Yeah. And that, that's the thing with this, is that this debate and going back and forth on net neutrality is never going to end. There's it's like there's no satisfying way to like even this episode we can't end it on a satisfying way saying either everything's going to be fine, yeah. don't worry about it, or like run for the hills because the world's about to end and the internet's suddenly going to like this thing that we've come to depend on is going to go away or change in a profound way. There's no there's no solid conclusion either way. At the end of this, and we're all just sort of left. We're left waiting because we, we as individual people, have no idea what's best and what is going to result from either decision being taken. 
And that's yeah. a great, yeah, that's a great segue. Unless you have something else to say, that's a great segue to ending the episode. Yeah. Well, basically, everyone's gonna have their own best interests in mind, and you know, it's, you're never gonna find a middle ground. And if it's one way, everyone's gonna want it the other way. So. Yeah. I, it. It's easier for everyone to stick with the status quo because it's it's not it's not making our lives horrible right now. Mm-hmm. But like all, if something if we change something and something bad happens as a result of the change, everyone will be like, "Oh no, we can't! Like we have to go back to the old way." But like change comes with some hiccups that that's always going to happen. Yeah. It's not a reason not to change ever. Wise words. <laughs> I love change, to be honest. <laughs> Every time a new Facebook layout comes out, I'm really adopting that. <laughs> if only we had to worry about with new Facebook layouts. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Other than me, it's general people. Oh. <laughs> All our viewers. <laughs> no wonder it sounded like so many people applauding. <laughs> So I mean, I guess uh, I guess we can leave it there for now, unless any of you, either of you have anything to add. Um, we didn't get to to news. Do you want to do you want to talk about your news, Mike, just for a couple minutes? Oh, I don't know. I guess it's worth noting as if you're talking about competition and mergers and whatever well, that. Yeah. Um, that Apple bought uh, the Beats headphones line uh, for just over three billion dollars. So that was a big news item this week. Okay. This is, I like that you brought this up because I, I was thinking about it when you mentioned it. Did they do that? Did that actually happen, or did they just say it happened? Like Dr. Dre posted, or who was it? It was, it was Miguel or something who was friends with Dr. Dre posted about it, but then the post disappeared and like nothing has officially happened. Yeah. But everyone's like, oh, yep, he's an employee now. But I don't think it actually like I have no. Proof, there's no proof anywhere that I've seen that they actually did buy it. It's just like... Hasn't there been a press release by Apple or anything? No. I mean, they're notoriously quiet about things, but, yeah, I don't know that that's actually... It seems weird to me. Like, I, you don't have to, you don't have to check yeah. anything. But, like... I, I take think something like that with a grain of salt. I mean, it, I don't see... I'm not guaranteeing they didn't, but it just seems weird to me that yeah. everyone's like, yep... So now Dr. Dre works for Apple. Like that's not how buyouts work. <laughs> There's, yeah, it's more complicated than that. Yeah, it might be like, you know, legal details to work out, but it sounds like I don't. Know, maybe the deal's done. Like it's kind of like when Google bought Waze, um, the uh, traffic mapping service, and you know it was people heard about it for a while, but it wasn't official until you know the the uh, U.S. government approved it. Yeah, for anti-competition and that kind of thing. So. Right, and I mean, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna hold my breath that it actually happened until I hear something like that. But like, it's interesting to contemplate, and you hear all these kind of all people, like even people in the tech industry, going along with it, being like, "Yep, they definitely own them now, and it's done, and we don't talk about it." But <laughs> I didn't, I didn't see any official proof of that. Oh, I just saw people talking about yeah, something. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. the news story for sure. Yeah. But it just, yeah, I found it weird. Oh. Was there anything you want to talk about, Keegan, news-based, in the last week? Mm, Other than no, that, yeah, the big news was the hearing. That's what I was, was looking into. and um, Yeah, just uh, 
unfortunate the the way the FCC uh, voted and was kind of bullied in, uh, bullied into uh, uh, accepting this proposal or going forward with this proposal. But I think it's important to note that it is just still a proposal and there's yeah. still uh, avenues that people can can um, take to to protest against it or write write your uh, legislator if you're in the states. Yeah. Uh, and even I, I think it, it would be prudent to to voice your opinion here in Canada because if if something like this goes goes down in the states, I think it's uh, not long until it starts happening here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's four months I think of public forum and public discussion about it, and then the FCC votes again to see if they're actually going to propose it to Congress. Right. It's uh, it's kind of terrifying, but. <laughs> That's why it's important to yeah to talk about it and reach out to any sort of political power that that is in your district or that you have voting persuasion over. Let them know that you're not okay with this. I think I don't think us as Canadians are able to do too much about it we, though. Not in the states necessarily. No. We can talk about it. Yeah. And yeah, I don't. We we can't vote for or against it. We can talk about it and, and turn the conversation in a positive way for everyone yeah. as opposed to letting uh, lobbyists do it. Yeah. And we have the open internet to thank for the ability to do that. Exactly. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, so the, the story that I want to talk about is just, and again, this is unsubstantiated. This is based off of one tweet. <laughs> uh, the, the Tesla Museum that the oatmeal Matthew Inman fought for last year and raised something like $1.5 million yeah. uh, on Indiegogo or another one of those crowdfunding websites. Uh, he's basically said, like, we bought the property and it's good, like, we don't, but we can't do the museum unless we have more money. Like, we need money. We've saved the actual property, the land that the, the Tesla had his museum on or that he had his workshop on. Um, but to make an actual Nikola Tesla museum, we need... He said $8 million. And, and that was like a minimum. Yeah. And he bundled this with a, a really, really great review of the the Tesla Model S car. Great and funny. Electric car. Yes. Great. <laughs> like a great review in the sense of it was very positive and it was also very good. Uh, and basically, he asked, he reached out to Elon Musk directly over Twitter saying, like, help, like, this is the thing I wrote, this is what I think you should, like, can you help us with this? And he was basically like, yeah, I'm completely, like, he he said yeah, but basically the implication is that he's completely on board because he, I mean, it's Nikola Tesla Museum, they named the company, Elon Musk named this company after uh, Tesla because it's his... It, it was his engine design. And the ironic thing is that um, because patent and copyright law um, this might not be ironic, but um, he's able to use the name because patent and copyright law was so much laxer back in those days when Tesla was alive that he can use, like, he, basically for free, it's public domain, he can use Tesla's engine, the electric engine, or not the electric motor, rather, so that this, his, this car actually doesn't have an engine. It runs on completely on electricity. Uh, it's apparently super strong. It's It's expensive, but that upfront cost means that it's going to last a lot longer and be a lot better for years down the road. To the point that, again, uh, car company lobbyists in this, or lobbies in the States 
are trying to ban sales of the Tesla directly from Tesla to consumers. Like basically they, they don't go through dealerships. They just try to, they sell them directly to consumers because the product is so good. They don't need to go through dealerships to try to sell them. But there's no, there's no reason for dealerships to, there's no incentive for them to uh, keep, to let this happen because uh, if, if dealerships did sell the Tesla, they would sell a lot better, but there's a lot more explaining. And so it takes longer to sell electric cars than just sell gas cars and they require less maintenance. And so they're going to get less money on the, like coming back. So there's literally no incentive for traditional gas powered car companies or car dealerships to work with Tesla. And so they're literally trying to ban the sales in certain states of cars, like saying that you can't just go to Tesla.com and buy a Tesla and ha like go pick it up. You have to go through a dealership, which just seems like the most ridiculous law in the world to make. You cannot just buy a car directly from a company. You have to go through a dealership. Like, mm -hmm. to me, but it is. I think they passed it in New Jersey, or it's like very close to passing. It just yeah, it makes no sense. But I'm excited for this Tesla museum, and Elon Musk is a cool dude. Yeah. Super rich, cool dude. We can agree on that more than anything. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I mean, we'll, we can stop it there. It's been a good 75 minutes. Um, I wanted to say now, which is the worst time to say right at the end of a podcast, we're now officially on iTunes, the audio version of this podcast <laughs> on iTunes. Uh, so that when this podcast goes up, you'll find a link to this video in iTunes and uh, there's a bunch of other stuff there. There's uh, if you go to futuretechchat.blogspot.ca, um, you'll be able to watch this video, and you can watch a bunch more videos on net neutrality. We'll put some links to stories and that stuff up there too. Yeah, we'll have uh, them in the notes section of the podcast as well. Yeah, to the news stories. Cool. So uh, I guess I'll see you guys soon. Yeah. Bye for now. See you guys next time. <laughs>